As we enter the summertime, we will continue the practice that we've had for the past several years of walking through the Psalms in our summer months. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 33. Psalm 33 is where we'll be today. Last summer, we made our way to and ended with Psalm 32. So this summer, we're picking up right where we left off in Psalm 33. Uh, So as you're turning there, uh, I'd like to play a sound for you. If we can have the the computer uh, sound turned up, uh, just take a moment and listen to this. So as you hear that, what does that sound make you think of? What does it make you feel? Uh, Go ahead and share where you are. An orchestra warming up. Exactly. Anyone else? Uh Uh-huh. What was that? Oh, wow. An entrance to something holy. I love that. Yeah, it is beautiful. Violins out of tune, right? That's why they're tuning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyone else? Did you hear that sound? What what stirs? There's oh, someone gonna say something? The beginning. Yeah, exactly. As I oh anticipation, exactly. That's what I was going to say. As as I hear that sound, there's a part of me that goes, oh we're about to hear an orchestral performance, right? That's how it begins. It's the sound of an orchestra tuning and warming up, uh, and, and we're about to head in to, to this thing. Uh, so, you know, it begins with that single note that started, and then everyone else begins to join in and, and play along as they tune, and it just grows and grows until they all stop and are ready for the song to begin. Right? That's how, uh, how these moments work. In many ways, this is what the Psalms are. In many ways, this is what the Psalms are. They are songs to be sung and played, but in a lot of ways, they are the note that we tune to. The Psalms are the note that we tune to. They uh, are the note that we tune our hearts to and and, and prepare to join in with to prepare for uh, our lives being a song to God, right? So this summer, we are going to be tuning our hearts to the Psalms, uh, tuning our hearts to the melody of God that our lives might harmonize with it and become a symphony of living, And today's psalm, Psalm 33, begins a lot like an orchestra tuning up. Uh, As we begin reading in the first few verses, we'll see new instruments join in and layers begin to build throughout these uh, starting verses, and the psalm takes off from there. This is a psalm that calls us to a life of praise. And so let's hear it. Psalm 33, beginning in verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, 
you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything that they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your psalms, for the ways that they speak to us and tune our hearts to you. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our mind, and soften our heart, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 33 is a classic praise psalm, uh, a praise hymn of sorts. We've already sung a couple of praise hymns this morning. But psalms of praise typically follow a very simple format. Uh, they occur all throughout the book of Psalms. They usually begin with a call to praise God. And then they describe why it is that we should be praising God. And then at the end, they come back around and say, all right, so praise God, right? That's the gist of it. Uh, praise him. Here's why. So do it. Uh, that's what a praise psalm is all about. It's why they are called praise psalms. And this is exactly what we see in Psalm 33. 
It opens up by addressing the people of God, and it says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Another translation that I came across translates this, uh, Praise from the upright is beautiful. I love that translation. It's a beautiful thing for the people of God to praise God. The psalmist is basically uh, looking out on the worshiping people and giving them a compliment. Hey guys, praise looks good on you, right? You're praising, you, you look nice in that praise, is what the psalmist is saying. So the psalm continues its call to worship. Praise the Lord with the harp, make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully, shout for joy. So layer upon layer upon layer is added as the orchestra of praise warms up and joins in, and the people of God are invited to praise. That's how it opens up. And then in verse 4, the psalm shifts and begins talking about why it is that people should be praising God. And it says, the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So we should praise God because God is faithful. This is seen in both word and action, right? His word is right and true. His actions are righteous and just. And so the earth is full of his unfailing love. The psalmist says there's evidence of God's faithfulness, justice, and love if you just look around on the earth. So what are the things that the psalmist points to? What are the things that that declare this faithfulness and love and justice of God? If the earth is full of it, well, where do we see it? And the psalmist will point to at least two things in the coming verses. Creation and redemption. Creation and redemption. God creates and God saves. So first there's creation. Verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. This points back to the creation story in Genesis 1, where God speaks, let there be, and then it happens. Right? Light and land, sky and sea, animals and humans, God speaks and all of it comes into existence. But there's a particular part of the creation story that the psalmist is pointing to. If we keep reading in verse 7, he says, God gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. And so this also points to the Genesis creation story where at the very beginning the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep, right? And then as God creates, he gathers up the waters and makes way for dry land. 
And so what, what is a, an ancient person hearing as they, as they hear this story and, and, and recall this? There's something going on here. Because in the ancient world, bodies of water are considered to be territories of chaos. Territories of chaos. Water is unpredictable. It's uncontrollable. It's unstable. It's uninhabitable for humans, right? It's chaos. Uh, and anyone who's lived in sight of water knows this, right? Caitlin and I were recently in Chelan with her family, uh, and they live on this lake, which is very beautiful, but can also be very moody at times. Uh, I love waking up early whenever we're there and, and watching the sun rise up over the hills and, and cast its light out um, onto the lake and the waters. The smooth war- morning water catches the light and it becomes this sparkling field of diamonds. It's lovely and beautiful as it comes up. But one day when we were there, there was a storm that started to blow in. And I watched the water turn dark. It changed colors and became dark. And then these white heads began to form on the top of it as wind blew in and, and it, you know, started to become chaotic, right? And then it started thundering and the trees were dancing and shaking and the wind. It's a beautiful lake, but you do not want to be out on the water in a situation like that. And there were a few days last summer when we were coming in off of the boat uh, right as the wind was picking up, and it is messy to do that. It's hard work to do that. It is chaos. And this is what the waters represent for ancient Israel. They look out at the ebb and flow of the sea, and what they see is chaos water. It's chaos water. There is unstable, uninhabitable chaos water out there. But, but here on land, there's stability. There's home. There's a place where we can live and thrive. And how did it come to be this way? Well, God gathered up the chaos water and put it out into the sea so that the land would be a stable place for us to live and dwell See, God rules over the chaos water. And he didn't defeat the chaos water in a battle or an epic fight, right? That's the kind of story you would expect from many other ancient religions. No, God simply spoke. And the waters gathered up to the place that they needed to go. And so in view of creation, the psalm expands beyond the nation of Israel and calls all people, to worship. In verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, right? Be in awe of the God who calmed the chaos water and established a stable place for us to live. Verse 9, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And so at the sound of God's voice, creation came to be and followed his command. So let us all worship him, this God of creation. 
So creation is one of the ways that we see God's faithfulness and love, righteousness and justice here in the psalm. But another story that the psalmist points to is redemption. God's acts of redemption. Verses 10 through 17 speak of nations and armies, kings and warriors, which means conflict, war, a different kind of chaos, right? There are plenty of stories of God's people in the midst of conflict or war where God comes and saves them, delivers them. But the chief story of God's deliverance is the Exodus story. The people are enslaved in Egypt, and yet once more God shows his power over creation as he goes head to head with the Egyptian gods that supposedly ruled over river and sun, insects and beast. But God conquered them all. God is in charge, not these false gods. And so finally, the people are released from Egypt and and they depart from that place and they parade out into the wilderness, a free people at last. But as they approach the Red Sea, they find Pharaoh and his army pursuing them from behind with horses and chariots. So what will they do? Where will they go? Right? They've got Pharaoh and chariots on the one side and waters of chaos on the other side. This is not a good situation. Perhaps this is what the psalmist is thinking of as he writes verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. You see, though Pharaoh and his mighty army are pursuing the people to recapture them, this God of creation and redemption acts once more. God moves over the chaos waters of the Red Sea and makes a path for the people to walk. God delivers his people through the chaos waters and from the chaos army. Verse 10 of the psalm, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of of the peoples. And as Israel safely makes their way through, verse 12 rings true. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he's chosen for his inheritance. So God has saved his people. He has redeemed them. This is the faithfulness and the justice of God at work in the world. The earth truly is full of his unfailing love. Now, the psalm has called the people to worship the God of creation and the God of redemption, who rules all of creation and saves his people. And as the psalmist sings and calls others to sing, 
He echoes back to these stories that we've just looked at from Genesis and from Exodus. But this psalm also points forward to coming stories of creation and redemption. Just like it points back to two primary stories, I want to share two stories that I believe it's pointing forward to as well. So in Matthew chapter 8, we read a story about Jesus where he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is another story of chaos water. They make their way onto the water, and the worst possible thing happens. A storm comes up upon them. The uncontainable, uncontrollable waters take charge. The waves sweep over the side of the boat. You can sense the disciples joining in to the chaos that's going on around them as they're overcome with fear. And then there's that little sentence. But Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was sleeping in the middle of all of this, right? On the one hand, I, I totally get the disciples here, and to be honest, I'd probably feel the same way. Jesus, what are you doing? Wake up. We're, we're about to die. Do you care? Like, what's going on? Uh, get up. Wake up. But on the other hand, I love that Jesus just can't be overcome by chaos. Jesus does not get wrapped up into the chaos that's going on around him. In the midst of chaos, Jesus is utterly at peace, fully trusting in the Father, entirely unafraid. So once he's awake, he gets up and speaks directly to the chaos water, and it was completely calm. His disciples are amazed, and so they ask, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And so who is this Jesus? Well, he is the Lord of creation. He was there at the beginning, at the very first quieting of chaos. And here he is again. As the psalm says, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. So we see that Jesus is the Lord of creation, but he's also the Lord of redemption, who shows us that no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. As the psalm says, 
just before Jesus' crucifixion, the Roman official Pilate is questioning Jesus, who he is, what he's done, why this crowd is so mad at him. And Jesus says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. My kingdom is from another place. See, Jesus does not rally his troops. He does not build up an army. He does not send out his followers to fight for him. In fact, exactly the opposite happens. When the crowd comes to arrest Jesus, uh, John tells us that Peter did draw a sword to defend Jesus. But Jesus stops him. In Matthew 26, Jesus says, Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? See, Jesus does not rely on his disciples to fight for him. In fact, he prevents them from doing it. Jesus could, but doesn't, call for legions of angels to come to his defense. See, Jesus shows us that a king is not saved by an army or a war horse. The true king shows us the way of salvation, and it looks like the cross. You see, the cross was the ultimate war horse of Rome. It tramples all who Rome seeks to stamp out. And Jesus would be crushed by the cross. But truly, his kingdom is from another place. When Pilate allowed the people to crucify Jesus, he thought he was sending Jesus to his death. But little did he know, he was sending Jesus to his ultimate victory. Because Jesus would not be saved by an army or a horse, but by the power of God that is stronger than death. The power of God that calms the chaos water. After being crushed by death, three days later, Jesus rose again. By his death and resurrection, we have been saved. Because he is the Lord of redemption who saves his people. This is who Jesus is. As the psalm says, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death, to keep them alive in famine. Jesus is the Lord of creation. Jesus is the Lord of redemption. 
Jesus is the Lord who this psalm calls us to worship for his faithfulness and his love. Because Jesus continues to create and to redeem to this day among us. I want to close with one more passage. 1 John chapter 3 is one of my favorites. And it speaks to how God continues to create and redeem in our lives today. Like the psalm, 1 John chapter 3 begins with a word of praise and rejoicing. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Do you see the pattern here? Just like in creation, where God spoke and it happened, the same is true here. God has called us his children, and we are. God has spoken, you are my beloved child, and it comes to be. If you believe that God is powerful enough to speak creation into existence, do you believe that he can also call you his child and that it's true? Just like God created in the beginning, he creates us anew every day by his love as his mercies are new every morning. Every day God calls to us, you are my beloved child. And every day that becomes true again. If only we will hear it. And there are all kinds of reasons to doubt that we are beloved children of God. Because of the countless things in the world around us that discourage us and distract us from this truth. First John goes on to say, the reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. But don't listen to the world for your identity. We're meant to listen to God who calls us beloved children. And John continues, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what will be has not yet been made known. So God has already called us his children. But there's coming a day when we will even more fully live into this truth, this reality that we can't even really know or comprehend fully right now. But he continues. We do know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So even though we struggle to believe our belovedness as God's children, we are to look to Jesus as we wait for his return. He's called us his children, created us anew, and he will come again 
to redeem all things. Until that time, we trust in his love and we wait with hope, which is exactly where the psalm ends. In its final verses, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Would you read that with me? In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So this psalm of praise has called us to worship God. It's told us of his faithfulness and his love. It's told us of creation and redemption. It has called our hearts to rejoice, to trust, to hope. So I want to ask, are you ready to praise him? Are you ready to rejoice in this God who has created and saved us? As we continue and worship this morning, let us lift our hearts to God. Let us rejoice in him. As the words of of this next song that we're about to sing are not only an opportunity for us to praise God, it is also an opportunity for us to call the rest of creation to praise him as well. And so let us stand and let us sing.